This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Should parents let their under-age kids drink alcohol? As a parent, have you ever bought alcohol for your child if they're under the age of 18? And do you believe that it's better for them to drink with you and for you to know where they are and what they're doing because they're going to do it anyway and it's best that you're there to supervise? This is a common theory, but is this theory backed up? Is it better and is it safer? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Dr Sandro DeMeo from Vic Health. Sandro, a new report's just been done by the Council Council of Victoria. It found that two-thirds, so 65% of high school kids had reported drinking alcohol and a very large number of those kids, almost half, said that they got their alcohol from their parents. Mm. We're both of similar vintage. We mm. probably grew up in households <laughs> where our parents bought alcohol for us, let us drink under the roof. Did that happen in your house? Yeah. Good morning, Rochelle. It did. Uh, I, I was thinking about this when I was reading the study and, you know, I think back 20 years to being a teenager and the prevailing sort of theory at the time was, well, it's it's safer to give your kids alcohol and have them drink in the house. And certainly, I grew up in an Italian family, so I remember very early on drinking a small amount of wine from my from my grandparents. That was fairly kind of almost normalised. But in my teenage years, parent my parents certainly took the approach that it was safer to have us drinking in the house. But you know, I have to say now looking back, mm. it, it it probably actually almost did the reverse. It for me, it normalised alcohol. It made it seem like it was safer more culturally accepted and more normal than it really was and probably in many ways more healthy than it, than it really was. I think that if you're sort of a Gen Xer, that there is no doubt that there's a photo of you or one of your siblings, you know, those sepia-toned mm-hmm. photographs that are rounded on the edge <laughs> where you're sitting either on your dad's knee or yep. your granddad's knee as a two- or a three-year-old and you've got a stubby a beer yeah, in yeah, your hands yeah. like it's a bottle and yeah. everyone thinks it's hilarious and everyone has that photograph. It sort of just points back to that normalising and that culture. That's starting to shift though, isn't it? It is starting to shift. And I do think that there's been a huge change in the last two decades around how we think about alcohol. And, you know, young people these days are so smart, certainly much smarter than I was. They understand the risks. And we see this in the evidence. You know, drinking has been going down year on year in in young people, which is great to see. Mm. Alcohol is not as kind of aspirational. It's not something that, you know, young people are really kind of looking out for. And and I think also, you know, young people understand that it's not just what it does to your body long-term, but, you know, they want their bodies to be able to perform short-term and whether it's kind of thinking, sleeping, concentrating, being able to perform from a physical perspective, you know, athletic um, kind of side of things, young people know the risks Mm. and the impacts that that alcohol can have much certainly much more than I did when I speak to young people today. I also wonder whether a lot of it's got to do with the fact that they're looking at their parents who are our generation where our parents normalised alcohol, mm-hmm. they purchased it for us, we were allowed to potentially drink it in the home. I know this is not across the board, but I'm talking mm-hmm. about for a large percentage. So then now we're the parents, right? Mm. And we're a lot of us, we're the ones that have the bad drinking habits 
that we've had for years because of, you know, generations of, of bad drinking culture that we've been exposed to. So are young people kind of rebelling against their Gen X parents going, well, actually, it's really trashy and I don't like how you live your life and I don't like what I'm seeing. But we're yeah. the ones now that are maybe thinking, well, my parents bought me alcohol, so I'm going to buy alcohol for you. Yeah, look, I think there is a generational difference and, you know, we're, we're kind of as parents now thinking that young people, you know, think and act and live in the same world we did where maybe there's a there's a kind of interest in alcohol but simply increasingly just isn't there. Young people are turning away from it uh, in increasing numbers and so I think we do have to be really careful not to kind of just use the same parenting styles that we inherited, you know, from mm. our own parents. Very easy to do and, and, you know, very often happens. We inherit the good and the bad sides of, of our parents. Um, shout out to my wonderful parents. Um, but, uh, you know, be, being a bit a bit critical, the world has, has significantly changed. And, and um, you know, we, my generation, I'm going to be open, like our generation had some of the highest binge drinking rates that we've seen in any generation. That's not something we want to continue for young people. And young people don't want to. So I think we do need to really critically, you know, reflect on how we parent and and the the environment we create. Obviously, the digital environment has introduced all sorts of new challenges and risks Mm. as well. But yeah, I think times have changed. So did your parents ever offer or buy alcohol for you? And maybe now you're considering if you've got a 16, 17 year old in your house, have they asked you to buy alcohol for them? And do you let them drink at home? ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Dr. Sandro DeMeo with you. Do you buy alcohol for your kids? Do you let them drink it in your home? This text already, Sandro, it says, I remember a conversation with my daughter's father discussing buying alcohol for our daughter. His theory was she would drink her own alcohol and others too, so best not to buy. I hadn't thought about it in this way. The theory that, Mm. well, they're going to do it anyway. Even that has to be pulled apart a little. We all have this fear of, well, they're going to just buy it. And we're actually going to speak to someone in a moment who's been doing some research into the fact that as an underage person, you don't always need your parent to buy it for you. You can walk in and buy it from Mm. the bottle shop pretty easily as an underage person. But that theory of, well, they're just going to sneak off down to the the park and, and drink behind our back, so we might as well give it to them ourselves. Is that even something that needs to be challenged? It is, yeah. So, so the evidence just simply doesn't support that anymore. And, and actually, you know, we, we could be doing our kids a disservice by, um, you know, by, by providing it. As I say, increasingly, generation on generation over the last 20 years, young people are drinking less and less and less. And so assuming that they, that they have the same interest in alcohol that we had 20 years ago when we're parenting our kids mm. might actually miss the whole point here, which is that young people are not that interested. And by kind of, you know, buying it for them or even bringing it up uh, in certain ways as a conversation could be backfiring uh, both for us and, and for our young ones. Helen in Mornington says, Rochelle and Sandra, I think buying alcohol for your underage children is bonkers. My child is now 22 and I never bought them alcohol to take to parties before they were over the age of 18. I'm my child's mother and being a good parent was far more important to me than being their friend. Mm. Oh, see, that's <laughs> interesting too, isn't it? Because yeah. parenting gets really different. Do you? And when are they going to a party? 
and you know that there's going to be alcohol there mm. because that you can't put your head in the sand either, right, and say, well, they're underage and the other parents that are at the party should be supervising this. You still have to be a realist in this conversation. So it's about finding that line. Simon's in Malakuta, beautiful Malakuta. Morning, Simon. Good morning. I'd just like to make a comment regarding your sweeping comment of children and underage people moving away from alcohol. I mean, alcohol is a sweeping comment and there are wine, there is spirits, there is beer. Wine is an aspirational product, contrary to what you've said. And people are still wanting to drink wine with their food and enjoy it. It doesn't have to be part of this conversation. I run a wine business. I, I know what I'm talking about here. And I think wine is still something that is very much aspirational and Australia is a leading... But a should leading you... Leader. I guess it's... That's not really the, the point of today, though, Simon. I mean, I guess the point is, would you give a 17-year-old a glass of wine? In the right circumstances, I would teach him about wine, not necessarily introduce him to it. But, mm. yes, certainly education is part of the process. All right. Good on you, Simon. Great to hear from you. This, clearly you don't have teenagers. No, I don't at the moment, but all of my girlfriends do have teenagers. So we have this conversation a lot. This says, fake IDs, parents buying for the whole party. Quote, young people are not interested. Are you kidding? Fake IDs are real mm. and parents even help their kids get fake IDs. That's just a fact. The idea that drinking is going down does that depend on the well drinking's going down as an average so you know the what what we have seen some of the some of the trends we've seen over the last sort of 2 3 decades is certainly um, a reduction in the overall drinking but an increase in binge drinking and that really peaked with with my generation our generation so 20 years ago teenagers were binge drinking more than ever we have since then seen you know a steady decline in alcohol consumption among young people so that's good news but you're absolutely right. The, the, the problem still exists. I mean, kids now live in a digital world where, you know, every time they turn on their screens, even if they're underage, in, you know, in some cases, mm. they're interacting with alcohol ads. We're seeing them on, you know, in, in on the bus on the way to school. You're seeing them when every time, certainly, you, you watch um, sports on TV. So there's still there's still an issue there to, to address and certainly parents have a really important role to play in that. I just think we need to be conscious of the changes that have occurred in the last, you know, since, since we went through parenting yeah. and not but assume necessarily the same approaches. I wonder how much of it approaches. differs though, right, depending on where you live, like geography or your city or your country, mm. depending on socioeconomics, depending on the household that you live in. I can't keep up with the text already, right? This is from Jan. My two teenagers occasionally drank at home, both 40 now. One drinks moderately, the other drinks none. Also in the 70s, as a 15 to 17-year-old, I was able to attend pubs, listen to great Aussie bands. I could afford to buy one Southern Comfort and Coke and I'd drink water for the rest of the night. Now young girls are unsafely drinking uh, in parks. Mm. And then Jan actually wondered whether or not I'd read that out. Well, Jan, I did. Let's have a chat to Nick, who's in Rutherglen. Morning, Nick. What did you want to say? I'm a um, yeah, fourth-generation winemaker, um, so I grew up with uh, my parents and grandparents encouraging me to first smell wine and just describe it and, um, and, and learn about different varieties. And um, it was always with food at the table. Um, and then probably from the age of 10, it was about having a small sip of, um, of wine. And then I went to boarding school for four years and um, my mates and I would occasionally sneak out of the boarding house and go and have a party at someone's 
house and um, my friends would often say that I was soft for not drinking enough, but it was actually because I appreciated the wine rather than using it as a, a tool to get drunk. Um, so I think it's really about mm. education and exposure rather than um, trying, to, trying to keep your kids away from it. And Sandra, is this cultural as well? Like Nick just yeah. said, there's a difference. So, you know, being of Italian heritage, like I think about the few times I've been lucky enough to to go overseas and to go to Europe, the way they drink is very, very different to the way mm. Australians drink. So that idea of yeah. teach your kids to drink safely under our house so they don't go and binge drink, <laughs> yeah. is that even an issue in other countries? So the short answer is yes, it is. So, you know, it's funny. These are so many kind of urban myths or, or prevailing thoughts from 20 years ago. And yeah. I think that's the point of the conversation today is have times changed and how do we how do we best support young people? Um, so, you know, binge drinking, less of a problem in certain countries in Europe 20 years ago. But, you know, countries like Italy, France, uh, Germany certainly have, have big problems with uh, binge drinking today. Uh, and they don't have some of the same... Uh, you know, laws, protections that we have. There are other countries that have far more protections, Northern Europe, and they have lower levels of binge drinking. So, right. you know, it, it is a challenge that kind of, I don't think the idea that kind of European countries have the answer um, is is actually as true as it probably was 20 years ago. But I think Nick makes a really good point around the culture of peer pressure and also peer conversations. So I, I would be, you know, I'm certainly not saying don't have a conversation with your kids about alcohol. I think that's actually really important. And, and for kids to know that they can talk to their parents about, you know, how to approach some of these challenges and even parents, you know, having a proactive conversation early on about things like peer pressure and, you know, mm. things that are, that, are, that are sort of going to pop up in the social space. Um, because very often it's, it's friends, you know, putting pressure on friends. Yeah. Uh, how how do you how do you have that? Not that, but it, I don't. I'm not really sure the answer is. Supply, you know what I find interesting though, right? The first two people that we've had ring in, and we'll get to Maureen and, and Sunny in just a moment, who are waiting online, have both said, "Yeah, but wine is different. You know, it has a different culture. It's a bit more sophisticated." Now, I don't know if it's where I grew up or the friends that I hung out with, but I'm telling you right now, the first thing you could buy cheaply was mm. a bottle of really dodgy wine it would be under five bucks and you could buy two bottles i don't know whether because wine has this element of being sophisticated yeah. so that makes it okay I, I don't i don't buy into that well one, one you're absolutely right and, and so um one of the really concerning trends over the last couple of decades and you know, certainly something we have to keep a close eye on is is the rise of mixed drinks and the the rise of very high alcohol content. You know, beers and and other um, other mixed drinks that come in cans. So they're generally you know full of sugar um, flavors that are very um, recognizable mm. to kids. Uh, they're packaged in a way that are often very alluring, so bright colors. You know, all the same marketing tactics, and and sometimes even recently, there's been con very controversial conversations and important conversations around soft drinks and soft drink companies launching alcohol products that look almost identical to the soft drink. So th those are those are, I think, a really important conversation and a danger space that mm. we have to be careful of in Australia. Um, but you know, things like the content of alcohol oh, and, that's and something the level I've of sugar and, and those. Those I think there's things. another show in us in in labelling and alcohol content because, and I know you and I have spoken this in the past, but some of those small little cool little boutique cans, yeah. I checked the back of one because I'm a chronic label reader. I, I blame you for that, yeah, Dr. Santro. <laughs> 
one tiny little can was two and a half standard drinks. Yeah. And it looked tiny and small. Anyhow, that's a conversation for another day. Maureen's in Lara. Morning, Laura, Maureen. Yeah, hi. How are you going? Well, what um, did you want to say? I uh, started drinking when I was about 15. My parents didn't give it to me. They didn't promote it in the house and um, they uh, weren't extreme drinkers. But I used to steal it from the cask wine and uh, put it in a Vegemite jar and drink it on the way to school. Um, so, you know, Oh, my goodness. That's hardcore. I oh, and then when I worked, uh, started working in the mid-80s, I worked in the banking industry and that was a massive drinking culture in that industry. Mm. So it sort of enhanced the drinking. So look, I, I think if I had had my parents at home saying, you know, giving me a bit more education about alcohol yeah. awareness, then it may, I may not have been that bad. Yeah, um, I think that education is, is a big part of it. But then again, is that a, a privileged conversation to be mm-hmm. having depending on your life circumstances? Do you buy alcohol for your kids? Do you let them drink it at home? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Dr. Sandro DeMayo with you. A new report has been released that show around 65% of students, of, of people under the age of 18, have tried or are consuming alcohol, and that a large number of those kids are getting their alcohol from their parents, Sandro. So many texts on this. It's hard to keep up with them. Yeah, some really interesting ones. So uh, someone here says Red Bull and vodka is deadlier than wine. Uh, very interesting. Um, but there's a here is a text basically that the, the majority of um, kids over the last couple of years, so teenage kids, the majority of kids uh, going to parties are increasingly non-drinkers. So seeing more and more kids, uh, you know, normalising non-drinking at parties. Mark McClay is the CEO of the Country Education Partnership. Mark, as when we were talking about whether or not young people drinking, if it's their parents that are buying them the booze, do you think it's different? depending on country and city? Uh, thanks, Michelle. Look, there are certainly elements of it. I, I agree with a lot that's been talked about this morning. Um, I think sporting clubs play a big role in, in rural communities and many of our, especially football netball clubs, are now bringing in groups to do some training and education and they're not 50-year-old um, adults taking the training. They're people who are closer in age. Um and that's probably the key point I want to make. I, I just think we need to listen more mm. to the to the youth, to the nineteen to twenty five year old group who can. The the relationship between sporting clubs and alcohol is a big one. I know it's one that Sandra, you and I have looked into. Mark, I mean, do you still look at? I mean, I know pubs would sponsor footy clubs, for example. I mean, and then you would have drinks in the club rooms afterwards. Is that a big issue for normalising it in the country? Do you think? So I feel like that was still a huge issue um, eight to ten years ago, and I, I think we're seeing a change. And I think it's parent-driven a lot of it who uh, are now joining committees. Um, th- the one thing I do want to mention, I saw some wonderful photos of the Australian World Cup winning under nineteen teams of them celebrating with no alcohol in sight. There was one soft drink can. Um, there, that was just a fantastic by the Australian Cricket Board to to put those photos out to show mm. that you can celebrate. And you join achievement without alcohol. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's a it's a great and really important point because, you know, the we know that kids when they're looking at um, 
you know, famous stars on, on TV or watching their beloved uh, sport or even going, you know, I mean, in many country towns, sport is kind of the way kids connect. It's, you know, it's it's a form of almost um, religion in, in so mm. many uh, communities. And so making sure that those environments really aren't, you know, associating something that's so healthy, that's so important for mental health, physical health, social connection with products that are ultimately harmful to kids that are, you know, setting them up to, mm. um, you know, I suppose lifelong think that if you're going to the footy or if you're watching the football, this is what you, do. you need to have a, a, an alcoholic drink and you can. And those those associations do start really early. Mark, when you're talking about education and the school environment as well, I mean, do you need to have almost community information nights you need to work with schools how do you start these conversations in smaller rural communities yeah definitely and back to my point i think it's that age group of 18 to 26 who can drive this change in the community um as a parent i learned a lot from my 22 24 year old kids about what they did at 16 18 to what we thought they were doing Mm. um so to me they're the group they're going to be listened to um our organisation has a group of rural youth ambassadors who, oh, that's uh, a good idea. yeah, who take that that role, and and I know there are communities who um who have those um those groups. So I think they can really play such a crucial role because they are close in age and and their lived experience is is not too far removed from really really good point thanks mark mcclay ceo of country education partnerships so joining us on the conversation now good on you mark thank you clive allen paisley is a community member for the communities that care in geelong and clive i mean you're sponsored by the murdoch children's institute deakin university you've got some big people behind and supporting what you do and You've looked a lot into how young people access alcohol. It's not just parents, is it? They're, are they getting it quite easily from bottle shops? Uh, we've been doing research since 2012 and the figures of uh, bottle shops selling to underage-looking uh, kids is astonishing. It's We've done it all over Victoria and it averages out, and it increases and decreases, but around about 50% of bottle shops um will sell to someone who looks under 18 and not ask for ID. That's always been an issue, right? I'm going to show my cards here. As Mm. a teen, you'd always look around your mates and you'd be like, who looks the oldest? Who can go in? Who do you think is not going to get asked for ID? Hasn't it always been an issue, Clive, or has it got worse, do you think? Uh, I think probably... Since 2012, the Auditor General did a report, that's 2012, who was indicating that it was a major problem and should be dealt with, but nothing has ever happened. Mm. We are working at the moment um, with uh, the liquor control, and I must admit that they are being proactive and agree with us that something needs to be done, and we were working on it collaboratively and really well. And what what do you think needs to be done, Clive? Because, you know, the, my, my concern is that kids, um, you know, if we take a heavy-handed approach, kids can be worried that they're going to get in trouble with the law. But ultimately, you know, it's the stores that are selling it to them that we really need to be clamping down on. I mean, what, what would you like to see particularly for regional communities? That's spot on exactly what you've just said. It's the stores that are not following their legal obligation. Uh, that need to be clamped down on. Um, I've done a lot of research on this right across the world. The most efficient way isn't having police 
or the liquor control people sitting outside the store. You just do test purchasing. That is to actually send in someone under 18, if they get sold to, bang, straight away, the, um, the bottle shop will get a fine. So sending in a young person and having police there ready. That's right, yes. Do they have the resources to do that? I haven't gone into the financial sector of it, but they will have the resources because I tell you what, the amount of injuries, et cetera, Mm. caused to kids who buy alcohol from package liquor outlets, also the fines that would be involved, it would be that the actual government would be saving money on it. Mm. But probably a factor... um, that you haven't mentioned on the show yet mm. is the amount of deaths in um, the younger age group. Now, we, we paid, you know, $3,000 to have it extrapolated down to 0 to 17. And in the year 21-22, there were 75 deaths mm. from alcohol. Gosh. Yes. That's what I. That was my reaction to. So this is not a victim. No, no. And crime. this is the thing when we, and we talk a lot about preventative health on this program, and mm. it's something that Sandro and I have spoken a lot about. Thanks very much, Clive, for joining us on the conversation hour this morning. Okay. Thank you. On your Clive. So do you buy alcohol for your kids? Do you let them drink it at home? Maybe this is something that happened to you when you were a teenager, and now you've got a teenager yourself. What are you thinking? ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Dr. Sandro DeMeo, the CEO of Vic Health, with you as we look at the number of parents that are buying alcohol for their underage children. Is this something that happened to you as a teen, and is it something that you're thinking about replicating? Mm, some interesting texts coming through too, Rochelle. So, what about the education around the fact that alcohol is a poison? A recent UK study of 30,000 people concluded that there is no safe level of drinking, especially for younger people. Uh, Catherine said, what I notice about my 18-year-old and her friends is how little they drink compared to my generation. Mm. At the same age, in the late 80s and early 90s, it was much more prevalent for us than it is for them. And this it says, unfortunately, this is because they're all taking drugs, and I know this. And that's a theory, actually, that we need to pull apart as well, because I'm not sure whether or not that's necessarily the case. Sonny's in Melton. Morning. Good morning, everybody, and a great topic. And I just want to add um, my view on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I believe youngsters are not drinking these days enough is, one, in the last 20 years or so, we had so much immigration and a lot of different ethnicities coming to Australia with no drinking culture. And Like, for example, mm-hmm. majority of the Indians especially. I mean, my dad used to drink. I'm 48. I never had touched drink in my life my boys are 18 and 21 and by god's grace they haven't touched it either it's not that we stop or something we just see the effects of it when people lose control get aggressive and stuff said that another reason i believe people youngsters are not drinking is the pricing like nowadays if you go to a pub for two cocktails you're looking at almost 50 60 dollars you can't get drunk on two cocktails or something so it is the price tag and reason for that is then they turn to drugs for something cheap but heavy to drink and yeah just want to have fun what i really want to condone is that youngsters think to have fun we need to be drunk we need to change that perception in people yeah Mm -hmm. really good point sunny and i think the idea of just how our 
society and the wonderful mix of cultures that we've had, whether or not that's had an impact. This, it says, I was drinking in at pubs at the age of 15. I know the 80s was a different time, but if you're saying kids are drinking less than my generation, then think of what they're doing and the things that are showing up by themselves and why they're being hospitalised at events. That's from Daria. Mm. Professor Dan Lubman is the Executive Director of Turning Point, a Professor of Addiction Studies and Services at Monash University. Oh, Dan, where do you begin with this, right? I mean, we've got on one hand numbers of drinking going down, but on the other hand, the main way that young people are getting alcohol now is from their parents. What's your take on this? Are we getting better or worse than, say, our generations when it comes to the amount that we drink and how we get our alcohol? Oh, thanks, Rochelle, and good morning to your listeners. Um, it's a really important conversation because, you know, as a parent of uh, two boys who are now... Uh, safely navigating through teenage years i know how challenging it is as a parent to sort of get the right line and to you know make sure that we keep our kids safe um give them the right information so they're informed and also i think as sandra has already talked about sort of navigate the normalization of drinking mm-hmm. in our culture and the, the, the impact of an industry that basically tells kids that alcohol is, is part of growing up it's fun it's a uh, part of what you should do and it's safe. So I think for ch- for parents, it, it is a challenging ground that we need to sort of navigate in terms of, you know, doing our best to make our kids. Well, we have, have to question life. our own drinking habits, yeah. don't we, right? You've got to hold a mirror up and that can be confronting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, the underlying message here is, you know, kids, kids do um, you know, copy what we do, not what we say. So mm. I, I think it's really important that we, you know, have these conversations with our young people. We we, we have very honest conversations, you know, and, and I think that's what we're having now. We're having very on, honest conversations <laughs> about what we did in our childhood, what we knew, what we now know, uh, what the evidence shows. And, and uh, how, we need to have those conversations. But, but how do how do you have those conversations? Because that's that as you say, yeah. it's easy to say, but but quite. I don't want to tell my daughter do. what I did. And I can't do, even think about what I did. Well, and and I, you know, do you worry? Do you have to worry about bringing up alcohol if they, if they're not already thinking about? It, is that going to put it in their heads? Mm. Do you, is it better to avoid it? Is it better to give them the skills to navigate any issue? We're getting you know text messages about sort of other other poisons, other drugs. I mean, how do you have that conversation, um, Dan, with with kids? Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point, Sandra. I mean, and I think, you know, as a parent, I think we, we have to think very carefully about what, you know, what what do we want to do for our kids and, and what, what young people do we want to have and, and how we keep them informed. And, and that's really the first step is taking a step back and really asking the question around sort of what is it, that, what are the messages that we want to communicate and, and what do we want to model? Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, often we see alcohol as sort of uh, a side issue that, you know, that we bring up later in life um, as young people are starting to drink. And I think it's really, it's about starting right at the beginning. So even, you know, when we're talking about, you know, you know first having kids and kids as primary mm. age students, what we do at home, how we drink, how we talk about alcohol, how we model alcohol in the home, I think they're very important uh, things that we have to think about you know, right at the start when we become a parent. Mm. Professor Dan Lubman is with you. Stay with us, Dan. Ethan's called from Wodonga. Morning, Ethan. Good morning. How are you doing? Really well. What did you want to say? Uh, I was just more... (laughs) I was trying to make... Try to outright actually... Uh, what do you call it, not speak about alcohol to kids would only motivate them to 
suppose, rebel against their parents wanting to, uh, you know, to try, to try, which would, to, you know, like put them out onto the, the streets per se. But then for a parent to introduce them to alcohol, it'd be the same for me, just as an example. It'd be introdu- like introducing them to weed or, uh, you know, mm. meth or crack or cocaine or something like that. You know, it's just, you're just introducing someone into the, the substance and, with the current, like, as you mentioned before about, you know, the bright coloured bottles and small drinks that look like they're not much alcohol in them, but they're actually have a lot of alcohol in them and they taste mm. good, would start, you know, just just start the uh, the addiction, uh, the early. It's the same thing as, you know, as we're currently struggling with va- the vape problem and cigarettes and whatnot. That's a great question. I mean, Dan, a question for you. I mean, has, has that changed over the time? Because, what you know, comparing alcohol to... Um, other forms of illicit drugs, you know, that that's definitely not the way uh, our parents, you know, approached the conversation. It was a very normalised uh, poison or drug in in a, in a household 20 years ago and even today in society. But it is changing for younger people. I mean, what are you seeing and, and is the converse, does the conversation have to be different for, for younger kids these days? I think, I mean, I think, and I'm just reflecting back on my uh, childhood and I don't think my parents ever had a conversation with me about alcohol, um, so, so I think, you know, things are changing. I mean, I think the good news is, you know, and I think you've already talked about this on the program, is that young people are drinking less. So globally, mm. you know, as, you know, when we look at young people, you know, we're seeing a drop in the last 20 years from 80% of young people having a drink during, you know, their teenage years, dropping now to almost 60%. Mm. So wow. this is changing in drinking patterns. We're also knowing... Uh, young people are dropping from, you know, 20% of young people who've had a cigarette, you know, down mm. to 7%. So, and similarly in illicit drugs, we're seeing that, that dropping in the last 20 years from 30% down to almost 20%. So, It's interesting, and, interesting you say that because there's a text message here from Isabella that says, we deliberately never had alcohol for adults uh, at our daughter's parties when she was growing up and we ensured that she's never been around drunk individuals in our circle of relationships. We also educated her from a very young age about the effects on the body and asked her for her input around alcohol consumption. Wow. Same with cigarettes. She's 16 now and shown no interest in either. We too have ensured our drinking habits toned down to the point that of almost non-existent and she's as she's gotten older very interesting that's interesting too because when you think about kids parties and then Mm. think well the parents are going to come and i remember having conversations with girlfriends thinking okay well if the parents are coming then you've got to provide for the parents i'm like do you need to provide alcohol and Mm. then if you you go to a kids party and you'd be offered a a glass of wine there's a text here dan loveman that says uh, there's more of a concern now around how many women or mums drink and drink to excess and think nothing of it. And there's been a lot of focus over the last few years into mothers and their drinking culture in particular. Is that something that maybe we've overlooked in that, well, you know, I was having a glass of wine and you know, having two glasses of wine and doing it in front of the kids and not thinking anything of it? Oh, I think absolutely. I, I think what's really interesting is conversation that's happening around sort of the normalisation of, you know, and the marketing of alcohol to women and and encouraging um, the idea that to get together and to have a good time and, and, you know, we need to have alcohol involved. So that's going to 
the cinema, that's going to hairdressers, that, you know, everywhere we it's go, everywhere. we're offered a drink. Yeah. And, and that but was really also, a ploy. That was quite a, a purposeful kind of play by industry, wasn't it? Sort of 10, 15 years ago to try and really focus on women and young women, getting them, you know, the new products like mixer drinks, but also focus on certain types of but products. But hairdressers, I remember changing hairdressers and not being offered a glass of wine and thinking, oh, Oh. <laughs> where's where's my rosé while I'm waiting for my foils to finish? And then I went, oh, actually, no, this is really Isn't good. No, a cup of tea yeah. will be great. Thank you. Yeah, but it was yeah, yeah. just normalised. Yeah, interesting. Professor Dan Lubman from Turning Point and Monash University, thank you for joining us on The Conversation Hour. Oh, absolutely pleasure. Thanks for having us. Scott's in Watsonia. Morning, Scott. Hello, how are you? Really well. What did you want to say? Oh, basically, um, learning from experience, I've got an 18-year-old. Um, and we are in the wine industry. Uh, the best thing I could do is get him to do his RSA. Um, oh, which is responsible is, serving of oh, alcohol. Thank you. Yeah, certificates. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's right. And, and look, the, the, the hotel and pub industry are struggling for workers at the moment anyway. But, um, you know, if parents want to put their kids in the right direction, spend, you know, under $100, get them their RSA, and it really shows them the effects of what alcohol can do long-term and, um, you know, the signs of seeing someone intoxicated and, and uh, you know, really shedding some light on it from mm. the other side of the bar. I have to say, as a young medical student and doctor working in emergency departments, uh, it had the same effect on me. It put me off alcohol for a long time, seeing the effects. And and, and there's an Ambo who's actually called in talking mm. about, you know, the challenges that our our paramedics and frontline mm. health services face with still uh, issues around yeah. alcohol. And Scott, I couldn't agree more. You know, growing up in a hospitality environment, when you're working behind the bar. And you see that someone's getting intoxicated and then you have to have that conversation with them to try and get them to slow down or to leave or just watching the certain culture that we have. You, you learn a lot. Michelle's in Northcote. Good morning. Look, I was just going to say I've got some, uh, a daughter 18 and one who's 17 and it's been very hard negotiating all of this. I mean, I was really very adamant on that that they shouldn't be drinking until they're 18. And I, I'm sure they've had little bits and pieces. But, you know, I think a lot of parents just feel that it's not possible to set those boundaries. But, mm. look, it did it did seem to work. Um, they are picking kids up from parties, being out there, um, you know, after midnight, all those kinds of things to make sure people get home safe and you know who they're dealing with. I, I think it is, it is really hard parenting, but... Um, kind of trying to set the boundaries I think we're kind of getting there and it's it's nice to be through the end mm. um, or probably not the end but um, I think we're also lucky because some of those COVID years were uh, yeah. You know, limited that. Oh, Michelle, anyway, I'm, I'm watching my girlfriend go through it at the moment and I feel like I keep saying to her, I oh, know this is so tough, but I'm learning so much from you. Like, because, you know, what happens when you find a bottle of cider in mm. their backpack, right? And you think, okay, I never thought I was going to be the parent that was going to search your backpack, have, yeah. but I'm searching your backpack and this is what I find. And now... We're going to have to have this conversation because how did you get it? Where did you get it? Where are you drinking it? What else don't I know? So mm. these are all the things I've got to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are tough conversations, but I think that's where, again, you know, equipping yourself. Th those conversations are going to come at some point, you know, with kids and uh, equipping yourself with 
maybe some points from uh, organisations like Turning Point or for uh, even the Royal Children's Hospital. I know that, um, you know, you probably think of the RCH and you think really young kids, but they actually have great resources for teenagers on a lot of these topics, how to speak about these topics. Um, so giving, you know, doing a bit of reading, equipping yourself because those conversations will definitely come. Mm. We've got a text message here, Rochelle, which is a, a kind of a... Um, one that I is a, a pet concern of mine. Hi, do you view alcohol-free beer as a gateway drink, uh, either into or out of alcohol consumption? Mm. What's the view of experts, what Steve from Kyneton? Now, how do you the, feel the short that? answer is the evidence is out, but I I do think that you ha- we have to be really careful here. So you would have seen in supermarkets now you can buy what you know what for all intents and purposes looks like a can of of Heineken or whatever it is, or wine. Coopers. Yeah, the branding is almost exactly the same, but it says somewhere zero alcohol. My 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 feeling, and and again, these are very new products, so that we don't have long term evidence. But my feeling would be that basically the same sort of role modelling to kids. Uh, you know, if a kid sees you drinking a Heineken, they won't know when they're three, four, five, or ten that it's zero alcohol or with alcohol. And so those same, you know, those same kind of recommendations that Dan gave us, uh, I would suggest Gosh, still tricky, apply. right? Because then, yes, 100% agree. But then you've got an adult there, you've got a parent there that is maybe changed their drinking behaviour yeah. and has gone from alcoholic alcohol to zero alcohol. So they're doing yeah. something better for them. But the image or what they're representing could potentially still be harmful. Well, to but a what child, they're doing it, for it themselves like, is better. That's right. So to a child, mm. it probably still looks like you're drinking a beer. Keep that in mind. But, yeah, I mean, look, if you can find ways to substitute alcohol for non-alcoholic beverages, kombucha, salts, you know, a sparkling water or an alcohol-free product, uh, at least that's a step in the right direction. Amy Penne is a Senior Research Fellow and the Deputy Director of the Centre for Alcohol Policy Research at La Trobe University. We've heard a lot today, Amy, that kids, or I should say young people, aren't drinking as much. What are the reasons behind that, do you believe? Uh, Good morning. Yes, Uh, the reasons for the decline in youth drinking are quite complex. We've engaged in research over about the last 10 years um, and found a very complex intermingling of factors seem to be driving the declines in young people's drinking. A lot of the things that you've talked about today, including changing parenting practices, seem to be really important and Mm. young people's focus on health and the scientific evidence about harms to the developing brain seem to be better developed and more well known. But we've also found some really interesting things about young people being really concerned about risk and control and career success and future financial mm, independence. Mm. So t- tell us tell us more about that, Amy. Yeah, so when we speak to young people, um, they're really worried about the competitive environment for getting into university, um, to be able to be futurally secure in the, the best job for them and, and, and being able to buy a house. And so alcohol, therefore, becomes something that gets in the way of oh, achieving future success. What about the idea as well? I mean, we grew up in an era where there wasn't social media. If you got drunk and made an idiot of yourself... No one really knew except for those that were there to witness it Mm. and then that embarrassment would maybe die down after a week or a month or whatever it may be. Now there's a very good chance that someone's going to capture that on Mm. social media and then the impacts that that has on your digital footprint, Amy, of getting a job. Uh, or getting into university, when we look at how your resume or, you know, if someone's looking at employing you, they're probably going to search all sorts of places, including social media. 
That's right. There is an increased surveillance um, for young people today, and that's social media, but it's also parents being able to know exactly where they are at all times. The other really interesting thing about technology is that young people seem to now be dating online or flirting online mm. rather than going to places where there's alcohol, which is what we did in my generation. That's really interesting. So, I mean, certainly if I think back to dating in my 20s, very often I needed a glass of wine for... Uh, a bit of confidence, yeah, maybe, or, to, or around, around the pubs. ladies, or, or yeah, or you or you meet in pubs. But I hadn't thought about that. I mean, if you're if you're meeting online, it's no longer sort of part of that uh, initial social or 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 mm. dating environment. I mean, what how how is that playing out in terms of drinking behaviours and and drinking risk, Amy? It really does fit into that idea that young people are staying at home for longer as well. So um, they're socialising online uh, instead of being out in public spaces, which they now consider as fairly risky spaces. Um, and we're talking about Gosh, people who aren't going into venues yet. So we're talking about people who are, you know, sitting at home but still able to talk to their friends 24-7 and especially um, the opposite sex or the same sex mm. um, and, and really work um, through those inhibitions in a way that the computer kind of provides the... The, the drink. I wonder, so often we see the children teaching the parents when it comes mm. to health and changing habits and benefits. I'm thinking about food, even things like the Stephanie Alexander kitchen garden program mm. where it would be the kids coming Amazing home and program, saying, yeah. actually, it's not that hard to eat healthy. <laughs> yeah. Here's how you... My little nieces do it to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder whether that's happening with booze yeah. as well, Amy, where the, the kids are saying to the parents, I keep, shouldn't call them kids, where the young people are saying to the parents, do you need to have a glass of wine every night or is there a or reason? do you know what it does to your body? Do you know what it does to your mm. body? Or is that happening where we're seeing the reverse, where the younger generation is teaching the older generation? I think the, the element about that, that's really um, interesting is this kind of idea about generational um, pushing back. So um, our parents and, and us were the, the heavy drinking generation and so young people don't want to be like their parents. The parents yeah. are uncool and so they're really kind of, you know, driving for identity and diversity of lifestyles in new ways and one of those ways is is not doing what their parents are doing. I find that fascinating. You talk about the heavy drinking generation and the, that being the generation now that are parenting teenagers. Mm. Amy, I, I had a question actually from one of our text uh, text messages, Kate from Thomastown asks, as a 37-year-old non-drinker, the stigma associated with not drinking and Australia's obsession with alcohol made it hard for me in my 20s because of the pressure to conform. Is that changing mm. as well? Are we seeing any evidence that the kind of peer pressure not to, you know, when you don't drink, everyone says, oh, what's wrong or asks women a, a specific question that I'm sure, um, you know, everyone's encountered at some point. Is that is that changing? Is there any evidence that that's shifting as the culture shifts? There is definitely evidence that it's shifted for young people. Uh, I wouldn't say there is evidence that it's shifted for older people. We, we've done some research about um, attitudes to non-drinkers and when you're looking at 30 plus, um, people are still quite stigmatised. Mm. But um, young people in particular, we've argued that there's actually a normalisation of non-drinking that's occurring where young people are able to go to parties and it's actually yeah. no the norm to not drink. I've noticed it even myself in social mm. circumstances, whereas once upon a time there wouldn't be, but now more often than it's not someone will say, no, I'm not drinking or it's you, you don't even just naturally hand someone a drink mm. now. 
Amy Penny, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning from La Trobe University uh, on the Conversation Hour. Yes, it's from Bronwyn in Nutterwadding. It says, I was on my son's secondary school parent committee. When we were organising an event, my suggestion was that the event should be alcohol-free as an example to the students, and that was shouted down. That's fascinating. The school events, secondary school events, parents there, how much alcohol should or shouldn't be at that event and, you know, what does that say? John's in Eltham. Morning, John. Good morning. How are you? Really well. There's quite a few things here. Well, I've raised four kids. One was a one's a professional musician and I worked in the nightclubs and the pubs for over, you know, 30 years. And how I dealt with it is I actually took them out before they were old enough to drink, I actually took them out to work with me. And I actually showed them what actually can happen and what goes wrong and how much you can be targeted. Um, And then I would walk them around the streets in the city I just say, hey, oh, it's gross, this is what it? happens when you get drunk. Oh, oh, yeah. John, it's hard for it's hard for us to send all our kids to work with you. But I mean, do you think do you think that maybe that that's that but, comes back to the education that's required? You know, we have big public campaigns around road traffic accidents, around you know showing what happens if you drink and drive. I mean, do you think we need we need more of those, or they need to be slightly different for younger generations? Oh, look, I think there's another issue that you haven't picked on here mm. that. When you actually have a backyard party, you are not the legal guardian of all the kids there. So, therefore, you're, in fact, breaking the law by having alcohol supplied for the other children other than your own kids. Mm. And I know whenever... That's that's actually a legal requirement. It does does bring up the complexity, I think, of of understanding sort of what legal responsibilities and and things that are required. That's good. good, um, But I do say to people, they should get their kids out there and take them out there before they're old enough. Let them experience things. Before. It's pretty confronting. I even find it confronting myself, John, like even leaving the theatre or whatever it may be, and you think, oh, wow, did we look like that? And the answer is probably yes, but I know exactly what you're saying. John, good on you. Rochelle Hunt and Dr. Sandro DeMeo with you. I don't know what's come out of this. A bit of everything, Sandro, in that it's generational. Mm. It's... Complex. Complex. <laughs> it's cultural. It's changing. As well, mm. and that it's changing. Mm. And I think... You know, as parents, we don't always know what we're doing. I think just even starting the conversation and not underestimating the intelligence of our young people yeah. and what they know and what they see and what they're doing. And cutting, I think cutting ourselves a bit of slack as parents that we don't have to have all the answers and that everyone's struggling with this. So it's a sort of getting information before mm. your kids come to you. Um, start, I think, as Dan said, sort of getting that information earlier than you think you might need it. Um, and... Um, and, and I think being open to having a kind of, you know, transparent conversation with your kids and about And those it. resources are there, as we said. There's Turning Point. I loved your suggestion of the Royal Children's Hospital. We don't often think about that. There's the Murdoch's Children's Institute. There's All a fabulous organisation called FAIR, Foundation for mm-hmm. Alcohol Research and Education. Uh, so Google them. They're, they're a fantastic resource as well. We've touched on so many topics today, but the Conversation Hour is also a podcast. Sandra and I have done multiple shows on whether it be 
alcohol content, labelling. I've also done entire programs on alcohol-free products. So mm. I know we'd only just touched on that today, but if that is something that piqued your interest, the Conversation Hour is a podcast. You can go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, download if you need something to listen to over the weekend or if you want to listen back to this and maybe share it with someone who's got teenagers in your life. Go to the ABC Listen app and download and subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast. Dr Sam Andrew DeMeo, the CEO of Vic Health, as always, mate. Thank you so much. And in terms of resources, you can also go to Vic Health, right? There's plenty of resources there. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're talking about what makes a great kids coach and where can you get resources to do that. Until then, take care. Speak soon.